All right, good morning and welcome to our second Sunday morning service. We have two services on Sunday, the first of which is devoted to Bible prophecy. We do a weekly Bible prophecy update. And second service that we're live streaming now is our sermon, our regular teaching, verse by verse through the Bible. We're currently in the book of Second Timothy. We'd invite you at this time to join with us. Our text today is going to be chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. While you're turning there, I just want to mention a couple things. The first of which is if you haven't already, you might want to check out our new website at jdfarag.org. And the second thing is an appeal for prayer. We need prayer. We need a miracle. And we wanted to make this appeal to you as our online church to join with us as a church concerning the relocation of the cell antennas that are on our building. We have done our due diligence on our end. Legally, we've done everything we can. We've crossed every T, dotted every I. And now we just need to commit it to the Lord. And this because it's going to take a miracle for those antennas to come off the building at this juncture. Now we're making this appeal for prayer, but we want to pray very specifically. Uh, by the way, this is something in your own prayer life that uh, I would highly recommend. When you pray, pray specifically. Pray specific prayers, not generic prayers. So our prayer is very specific in that we are praying that they find a new location for those antennas and remove them as soon as possible. In the end, I'm looking forward to, by faith, standing behind this pulpit, as is my privilege to, and sharing with you how God did it, the way God did it, and God will always do it uh, in His way, in His time, and for His glory. There's only one prerequisite, and I'll speak for myself. God will always do it His way if we stay out of His way. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know that's not a problem for you. Again, I'm just speaking on myself. It's like God says, I, I want to do this, but you're in my way. So get out of my way, and I'll do it my way. So, okay, Lord. So this is going to have to be the Lord, doing it in His way, in His time, and for His glory. So uh, we would just ask you to pray specifically concerning this. Let's get into the Word. Looking forward to our study today, Second Timothy chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 8. We left off last week in verse 7, and we'll uh, go through to verse 13. If I could trouble you to stand, if you're able, you can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is fine. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to Timothy, whom he loves so much, as a son, really. And he says, verse 8, these first three words right out of the chute, remember Jesus Christ. I mean, we could stop right there. We won't, but we could. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's Word is not chained. Therefore, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, verse 11. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. Let's pray, if you would, join with me. <laughs> Loving Heavenly Father, we have before us a, a powerful passage of Scripture, and would readily admit that unless you give us eyes to see by the Holy Spirit, we're not going to see what it is that you have for us today, that which you desire to show to us today. Unless you speak in that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to hear what it is that you desire to speak into our lives today. So Lord, we want to posture ourselves before you with eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what the Spirit would say to us, your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about those times in our lives when the difficulties and the hardships of life seem to contradict the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Have you ever had those times when, I mean, the trials are just so difficult and the circumstances so complex and perilous, and everything around you just seems to contradict the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And then what happens, and it always ensues, there's a doubt that sets in. You start questioning the goodness of God, especially when the trials in all of their intensity and enormity are such that you, you're looking at this thing and you're saying, I just don't see it. I just don't see how God is going to work this out. I don't see how God is going to bring good out of this. This is really bad. And we start viewing the, the goodness of God through the lens of the difficulty of our circumstances. And the enemy's right there, is he not? In fact, I would suggest that this is exactly what the enemy intends to do. He brings those, those thoughts, those, those questions. He, he can't read your mind, but he can certainly put thoughts in your mind. Now what we do with them, that's on us. Are we going to take that thought captive into the obedience of Christ? Or are we just going to let it in? Let it germinate and sprout and bear the bitter fruit that it always bears because of it. Here's what it looks like. Just kind of paint a picture here. It's kind of like this. So you're, you're in this trial and it's really bad. <laughs> and you start thinking to yourself, Lord, I, I just don't see 
how you're going to do it. And then here's the enemy with things like this. Uh, this is really bad, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's really bad. How's, how's this going to work out for the good? I don't know. I don't know. What if blank, and you fill in the blank. What about? And the enemy will take you as far down that what if road as he can, as you will allow him to. And it's a battle in the mind. It's a battle in the mind. And it's no different. There's really nothing new because it's the same thing that Satan did in the garden with Eve questioning the goodness of God. Can God be trusted? Did God say? Hath God said? And so what happens is we fall prey to fear and doubt, particularly fear. And we become fearful, full of fear. And once Satan can fill us with fear, he's got us. It's game over. He's got us exactly where he wants us, but God. Key word, remains faithful. God is faithful, but God remains faithful. In the text before us today, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, gives to us three life-changing truths. And I know that sounds cliche and pat and hollow and canned, but they are life-changing truths. And the reason I'm calling them life-changing truths is because Paul himself is in an unspeakable difficulty. And it's almost like he owns it before he imparts it. You cannot impart that which you do not possess. Paul possessed this. Paul owned this. And he's writing to Timothy. Here's the thing. Keep this in mind. This is very important. It's germane to our understanding of the text that's before us today. Paul knew that Timothy, whom he loved so much, was not always going to have Paul. His days were numbered. And he knew it, and Timothy knew it, and he's doing all that he can by the Spirit to prepare Timothy for when he's gone. And he knows there's rough days, tough days ahead for Timothy. And he's trying to encourage him, prepare him for that which is prepared for him. And he knows it's not going to be easy. And so he provides him what I see here. You might find more. I found three. Three life-changing truths when we're riddled with fear and doubt, so much so that we question the faithfulness of God. The first one's in verses 8 and 9. And it's simply remembering. I just, I cannot get over the first three words in verse 8. I could preach a whole sermon just on those three words, and you know I can. <laughs> Remember Jesus Christ. Now that might seem like a 
firm grasp of the obvious, but what's Paul saying? And why would Paul write that? Why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write those three words specifically? Remember Jesus Christ. Oh, because the first thing that happens when you're in a difficult situation, in a perilous set of circumstances, is you forget. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. You know, sometimes I'll speak for myself. There are two words that snap me back to reality. You know what those two words are? The Lord. Oh yeah. What was I thinking? The Lord. I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm so caught up. I'm so worked up. I'm stressed out. Oh, wait a minute. I'm saved. The Lord. Remember Jesus? It's almost like I can picture the Lord going, hello, remember me? What are you doing? Hello, remember? Oh yeah, that's right. The Lord. Remember Jesus Christ. Here in these verses, Paul is providing Timothy with this much needed reminder of, like we like to say, keeping the main thing the main thing. Because isn't it true that the main thing is not always the main thing? And we need to be reminded. <laughs> I think we're like Timothy, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we're prone to forget. Forget what it's all about. The main thing is the person of and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And that has to be kept at the forefront because that changes everything. Remember Jesus Christ. There's something here, and I, I don't know if you caught it in your reading of it, but it's almost like you get this impression that Paul needed to remind himself. Now I say it that way for a reason. Remind? Remind? This is not a play on words. Don't look at me like that, okay? <laughs> you know, we revisit, we restart, we reboot. Well, sometimes we need to remind. Remind. I think about Isaiah who says that he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. We need to remind ourselves that our mind needs to be stayed on him. Remember? Oh yeah. I think about the Last Supper. We just celebrated that Thursday night. I love the communion table. You know what the main point of the Last Supper was? It's in a word, and it's the word remember. Jesus wanted them to remember. Now why would He do all of this so that they would just remember? Because He knew what was ahead for them too. And in the heat of the battle, 
in life's storms, we're all prone to forget. The Lord's in control. The Lord has a lot invested in me. The Lord's never going to leave me or forsake me. I mean, you want to go down this list of all the reminders that we need all the time, especially as you get older. <laughs> you need to be reminded a lot. What's my name again? No, sometimes it's that bad. <laughs> the memory goes. The memory. Think about this. Paul says, here I am chained like a criminal. I'm no criminal. This is the gospel, my gospel. He calls it his gospel. He owned it. For which I am suffering. Here I am chained like a criminal. And he was literally chained to a Roman guard as he wrote this. How about that? And then it's almost like he needed to remind himself, oh yeah, I'm chained, but God's Word's not. I need to be reminded of that. You need to remind yourself of this today. You're sitting here, you're watching online, and you're like, oh yeah, what was I thinking? You weren't, that's the problem. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me as often as you do. Let's get a little bit more specific and, and uh, look into this. What specifically, Jesus, do you want us to remember? Oh, I want you to remember how much I love you. I want you to remember that I died for you. And no greater love hath any man that he would lay down his life for another. And if I love you that much, is there anything I won't do for you? Oh yeah. What was I thinking? You weren't. I need to be reminded. Yes, I do. Remembering. You might think it's a, maybe a firm grasp of the obvious, but I would venture to say that this is the number one problem when it comes to this. I think about David there on the battlefield. I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the camel there on that battlefield. You know how it went down? This is not based on a true story. This is a true story. Dad sends David to the battlefield to check on, you know, his brothers. Three of his older brothers were there. And oh, by the way, the firstborn son, you know the one that should have been the king, anointed king of Israel, Eliab was his name. Oh man, he was so jealous of David. And sure enough, as soon as David appears there on the battlefield, and there's Eliab, what are you doing here, you little runt? Go home where you belong. Why are you here? Oh, Dad sent me. There was a bitterness on his part, his three older brothers. Now, so here's David, right? And for 40 days and 40 nights, the Israelites have heard this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of their God. David hears it one time, and that's not okay. I, I, I know it's uh, maybe uh, reading too much into it, but I just, in my way of thinking, I have to 
picture the scene and picture myself there. So I'm there. And here comes David. Oh, I've heard about him. That's Iliad. That's your younger brother. Yeah, that's him. Oh, cool. And then, and then here's that uncircumcised Philistine. By the way, David would never call him Goliath because Goliath means champion and he's no champion. He's a blasphemer. Never called him by his name. So here they're talking and Eliab's, you know, saying, go home. And all of a sudden in the background, here's this voice. Who's that? What, what did he say? Wait a minute. He just, did you hear that? Did you, wait, wait, what, what? Oh yeah, he's been doing that for the last 40 days and 40 nights. And you're okay with that? That is not okay. Let me at him. <laughs> Some believe he was probably a teenager at this time, very young. So they're like, David, come on, just go home, will you? No, I can't now. I was going to until I heard that. I need to talk with Saul. So they take him to Saul. And here's Saul. <laughs> Think, think about it. They're paralyzed in fear. Paralyzed in fear. And here's David. He goes to Saul and he says, I know again, I'm reading into this, but this is just for me to understand the power in this, because it's almost like David saying, Saul, are you okay with this? Because I'm not. You, you, you're, for 40 days and 40 nights, he's been doing this and you've done nothing about this? I'm going to take care of this, right? I'm going to shut his big, ugly mouth. He will never blaspheme the name of my God again. Saul's going, come on, David, buddy. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't say that, but again, just indulge me. You can't, I mean, you can't, he's been eating kids like you for lunch longer than you've been alive. I don't care, because this is not about Goliath against me. This is Goliath against God. And so Saul's trying to talk him out of it. No, 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 you can't do this. And what does David do? He remembers. What does he remember? He says to Saul, Saul, you need to know something. God has delivered a bear and a lion into my hands. And I've killed them with my bare hands, because they were going after the sheep. This uncircumcised Philistine will be nothing. If God can do that, there's nothing He won't do. The power of remembering. And like Saul's like, okay, go ahead. tries to put his armor on him. David's like, you know, this isn't my size. Doesn't fit. Takes it off. I just give me a slingshot and five stones. We don't know specifically why five. Five is the number of grace, by the way. They were saved by grace. Some speculate that Goliath had four brothers. We don't know. There were five cities of Gath. So that's possible. But I think the typology, because I love typology, 
is that five is the number of grace, and that's how we're saved. And grace changes everything. We talked about this last week. Uh, one little side note that I think uh, might be a blessing to you and encourage you, just the, the power of God's grace and how five, the number of grace, changes everything. It's the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, five, that God inserted into the name of Abram and Sarah. And he changed their name, and he changed their nature, and he put that fifth letter in the fifth place of their name. Ibrahim, Serah, five, grace. Oh, can I just do one more? <laughs> what are you going to say, no? The fifth commandment, the only commandment with grace. All the other ones are, thou shalt not, or you're going to die. You get to the fifth commandment. My mother and father made me memorize it. Honor thy, in King James, honor thy father and thy mother, so that the days upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee may be long. Wait a minute. That's grace. Yeah, that's the fifth commandment. Five's a number of grace. Grace changes everything. We are saved by grace through faith grace. They were saved, Israel, by grace. It was the grace of God. But he remembered. And I want to suggest to you, if you're here today and you're struggling and, and going through a really difficult time, and, and please, I don't mean to make light of that. I, I know it's hard, <laughs> but God, I think it is a very good thing to just take some time and remember all of the times that God has delivered you in the past. When He's delivered that bear of a trial, that lion of a difficulty into your hands, and He did it as only He can. And, you, and He did it in such a way so that even if you wanted to, you couldn't take the credit for it. He did it in such a fashion that it was only Him, and you know it. There was no way. There was no way and then God did it, and you're like, oh, that was the only way. I know. I told you. Here's the second one. Enduring. What Paul says here in verse 10 is very interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he reveals why it is that he's able to endure. I hate to use words that the world hijacked from us. I know that Arabs shouldn't use the word hijack, but uh, you know, the secret to his success. I hate it when the world does that. They take, you know, something from us and they mar it and they profane it and make it common. You know, the secret to success. Come on, give it back. So I'm taking it back just for now. What was the secret to Paul's success? How is it what was Paul's secret? How could he endure all that he endured? Oh, by the way, uh, you want to know what he endured? First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 2, while you're at it. Actually, all the epistles, if you want. Book of Acts 2, by the way, throw that in there. Shipwrecked how many times? Beaten how many times? Stone. Not, not talking about, well, man, I'm stoned. I'm not talking about that. This is a different stone. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little bit too much. I'm talking about literally throwing these rocks until you're dead. And they left him for dead outside of Lystra. 
I mean, he could just add that to his resume of suffering. What was his secret? How in the world was he able to endure all that? Oh, he tells us right here. And you would think that he would say something like, the reason I'm able to endure is for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how. But he doesn't say that. Did you notice that? You notice what he does say? He says, here's the secret to how I'm able to endure is for the sake of God's people. That's not to say that he's not enduring for the sake of the gospel. Oh, he surely is. That's not to say that he's not enduring for the sake of Jesus Christ. He surely is. But he takes it further. It's not just the gospel. It's not just Jesus. It's that others would hear the gospel and come to Jesus. And that alone is the fuel in my tank of endurance. That's what keeps me going. Wow, that's love. I don't know how you see the Apostle Paul, certainly unflinching in his fearlessness, probably intimidating in his presence, I would imagine. When Paul walked into a room, you stood to attention. Oh, that's the Apostle Paul. Did you, you know who that is? That's Paul. Yes. Right? When Paul spoke, you listened. He had earned that. There was a, a power and anointing and authority. Is that how you see him? That's how he was. But do you see him like this? Do you see him with a soft heart? with a loving heart. I don't, I hope this doesn't mess you up. But Paul cried a lot. Acts 20, three years, day and night. He wept bitterly because he knew that after he left, there would be wolves in sheep's clothing that would not spare the flock. And he knew they would rise up from amongst them. And that was too much for him. And he wept. I like to say it like this. He cried like a man. <laughs> that's my story and I'm sticking with it. So whenever I, that's love. That's love. You, you don't care. I mean, you, what are you going to think about it like this? Let's bring it into the home. How much will you endure for your family because of your love for your family? I mean, you know, we do things for our kids we would never do for anybody else. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that for your kids. Forget it. My kids, no problem. Done. My wife, no problem. Yours, not a chance. What I will endure for someone I love the lengths that I will go. And it's a joy. Don't imagine that Paul was ever enduring grudgingly. That's not to say that he's like, hey, bring it on. No, this is hard, but it's worth it. Here's the thing about the Christian life. It is not easy, but it is worth it. It is not easy 
but it is worth it. I want to spend the remainder of our time on this last one, and I wanted to leave enough time on this one because it's trusting. I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what Paul writes here. He starts off in verse 11 by saying, here is a trustworthy saying. In other words, you can take this to the bank. Actually, I wouldn't recommend that right now in this. Uh, don't take anything to the bank right now. <laughs> but in other words, this, this is true. You can, what's, I, need a, I need a new uh, metaphor. You can take this well, maybe somebody can help me out after the service. It'll be too late then, but I think you get the point. Trust me on this, Timothy. Trust me on this. It's actually believed that Paul was quoting from an early church hymn here in verses 11 through 13. And it was a hymn that was very well known to the Christians in that day. Now you have to understand again, <laughs> the context and, and the cultural dynamics and what it was like for a Christian in that day. Your fate as a Christian was martyrdom, and you knew it. And that kind of changes the color of, of everything here in these verses. This, this now kind of makes sense when you understand it in that way. They knew they would be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. When one understands their fate was martyrdom, then these words have a powerful impact on the hearts and minds of God's people. You know, I was thinking this last week, we have a, a very uncertain uh, well, let me say it like this. I, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, man, what's coming? What's really already here for the most part? Man. If there was ever a time that we needed to trust the Lord like never before, that time is now. It's going to require, let me take it a step further, it's going to require us trusting God in ways that maybe we've never known before. If that sends a chill up and down your spine, I, that might be a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I want to go through this. And as I do, I want you to view this through that lens, that aforementioned lens of martyrdom. Otherwise, this is just going to seem like words on the page of your Bible. It's not going to, it's not going to have the much needed impact. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, you can trust this. If we died with Christ, oh, I'm going to die? Yeah. Have a nice afternoon. <laughs> if we die with Christ, we will also live with Christ. You can trust that. It's a trustworthy saying. 
Trust the Lord. And if we endure, we will also reign with Him. You can trust that. It's a trustworthy saying. However, (laughs) there's also this chilling warning, and rightfully so, given the situation in the early church at that time. In the face of unspeakable persecution and even martyrdom, there were those who would deny the Lord. And here comes this chilling warning that if we reject Him and disown Him or deny Him, He will also reject, disown, and deny us. You know, we love to quote that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us, but there's also that verse that we should probably also quote that if we forsake Him, He'll forsake us. See, God's never going to force Himself on us. Now, in order to understand why it is that Paul would write this about denying or disowning, is because of what he says in verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. And here's why. For He cannot disown Himself. Now stay with me on this. If I disown Him or deny Him, He cannot deny Himself. It's impossible. If I'm faithless, that doesn't make him faithless. If I'm unfaithful, he remains faithful. There is no effect on who he is. He, it's not that he won't, he can't. It's not that he won't deny himself, he can't deny himself because of who he is. He remains faithful no matter what. He remains faithful. And I'll tell you, if we were alive in that day, I need to hear this. You know, we we always say to ourselves, think to ourselves, maybe we voice it or vocalize it. Man, if I was ever put in that position, like the early Christians in the early church, I think about Polycarp, Church historians tell us about him. He was, um, he was a, uh, a pastor. I want to say he was in Smyrna. That's the, one of the letters. to the, It's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's the modern-day city of Izmir. It was called Smyrna back then. He was the pastor of a church there in Smyrna. And he was put on this stake and was going to be burned alive, but they gave him a chance to deny and renounce Jesus Christ. He's like 85 years old, according to what church historians write. So there he is, picture this, he's tied up, they've got everything ready for the fire to burn him alive. And they say, you got one more chance, pastor. What are you going to do? We're going to burn you alive unless you renounce Jesus. You know what Polycarp's answer was? He's been faithful to me for, been faithful to me for 85 years. I'm not going to renounce him. Let the fire burn. But by the way, the fire that's going to burn me is nothing compared to the fire that you're going to burn in in hell. Whoa, that'll preach, huh? Oh, pastor. Now, again, I'll use myself as an example because I don't want to 
You know, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. He does a much better job than I do anyway. So now I have to ask myself that, this question, what if that was me? What are you going to do, Pastor? I don't know. I don't want to die. Yeah, but if you die with Christ, you're going to live with Christ. Yeah, but this is really hard. I don't don't know if I'm going to be able to endure. No, 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 no. If you endure, you'll also reign with Him. Oh, I mean, you just go down the list, but don't deny Him. Burn, baby, burn. (laughs) Oh, Lord, make it quick. And church historians say that as he was being burned alive, he was just praising God praising God. Not screaming. I'd be screaming like a baby, (laughs) crying like a man, but screaming like a baby. (laughs) But no, he was praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Here's where I'm going with this. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the main reasons that we doubt and question the faithfulness of God, it would have to be that we fear man more. Let me say the same thing in a different way. We're more afraid of what man can do than we are of what God can do. Matthew ten twenty eight. I was this last week, this verse kept coming to mind, and just this morning, preparing to come and teach, I decided to include it, Matthew 10, 28. Listen to what Jesus says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Proverbs say that the fear of man is a snare, a trap. Hebrews 13 verse 6, the writer of Hebrews says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. I'm going to trust the Lord. Do whatever you want. He remains faithful. I'm not going to fear you. I fear the one who is faithful. I'm trusting in Him. I'm looking to Him. I want to close with a quote from Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers is one of those guys like A.W. Tozer, you know, I kind of have this love-hate relationship, not with them, with their writings. You know, you read Tozer, you read Chambers, you don't walk away going, ha, ah, praise the Lord. You walk away going, am I still saved? <laughs> oh, so convicting. It's like, no, oh, ah. Well, this is one of those. So I just want to leave it with you because misery loves company, and (laughs) so does conviction, right? (laughs) And because I love you, I love you. 
The wounds of a friend are faithful. This reminded me of an A.W. Tozer quote. He said, I doubt that God can use a man greatly until He wounds that man deeply. I don't want to hear that. I mean, I want God to use me greatly. Can't. Ask Jacob about that, by the way. Jacob's like, hey, bless me, Lord. And he's wrestling all night long with the Lord. I'm not letting you leave till you bless me. And here's the Lord going, okay, I, I want to bless you. I want to use you greatly, but I got to wound you deeply because the blessing never precedes the breaking. So listen to what Chambers says. I think it sums it all up. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. <laughs> right? The fear of the Lord. I think about those times in the Old Testament with the Israelites of that day, they would say that there was no fear of the Lord in their eyes. And every man did that which was pleasing and right in his own eyes. No fear of the Lord. And by the way, when you talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not, surely it's a reverent awe, a holy fear. But see it like this. This kind of helped me tremendously. Maybe it'll be a help to you as well. It's like this. You fear the Lord so much, you fear doing anything that would grieve Him, displease Him. You fear anything that would break the heart of God. That's to hate evil. You hate the things God hates. You know of David, who, you know, we're told had a heart after God's own heart. You know what that means, right? You know how, like with our children, oh, uh, he, he takes after you. I know that's the problem. Pray for him. Poor thing, poor kid. <laughs> she takes after the mom. You know, there's a resemblance. In other words, David had a heart that took after his father, a heart for God, a heart like God, and a heart that would become grieved with the things that grieve the heart of God. And you love God so much that you fear doing anything that would grieve Him or displease Him. Why don't you stand? We'll pray. I want to just encourage you today. It doesn't matter. I mean, I again mean in no way to sound dismissive of whatever trial it is that you're in, whatever difficulty you face. But I can testify, if I was to be put on the witness stand under oath to say the truth, tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, here's the truth. God remains faithful. God is faithful. God will see you through. God will see you through. You will see the goodness of the Lord 
Don't allow the enemy to have you question the goodness of the Lord. You will see. You'll see. God is good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I, I did my best. You have to take it from here by the Holy Spirit now. I don't think there's a one of us that doesn't want the application of your word to our lives. I don't think there's a one of us that doesn't want this to be real in our lives. Lord, for those of us that just need to be reminded, very simply, just reminded of your faithfulness, would you just bring to our remembrance all of the times you pulled us through what just looked to be impossible. But you, O Lord, are the God of the impossible. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen anyone whose heart is weary and downcast, discouraged. Encourage their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.